You're now listening to the River Claremont Podcast. All right. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to deliver this word. Father, help me with this today. Malachi chapter 3 is obviously a famous bit of scripture. I have a lot of word I'm going to go through today. Uh, the Lord will help me do it all. But you hear Malachi all the time for multiple reasons, um, probably because he's the loudest guy in the room. No. Now, you hear of Malachi a lot because it, it speaks about the end times. It speaks about tithes and offerings. It speaks about the separation between the righteous and the wicked, which is evident throughout Scripture. It's found all the time that those that serve the Lord, that make a heart commitment to, towards God and to honor His Word, absolutely do enter into a, a, a blessed covenant relationship that there are blessings attached to. But it says in Malachi 3, it says that if you bring all your tithes into the storehouse, um, there will be food in my house. Try me or test me in this, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing there will not be room enough to receive it. Say not room enough. Now when you read this, here's what I'm going to say. It is obvious that when you read this that God is saying he is more prepared to bless his children than we have positioned ourselves to receive it. Yeah. You believe that? Yeah. You see what he's saying? Because he's saying, I'm a God of overflow. The cup's always overflowing. I'm prepared to bless you. So your part to do is, if God is going to give you more than there is enough room enough to receive, the greater you learn to receive, the greater you're going to have. Amen. Whether that be protection, wisdom, which wisdom is really what you seek after as a child of God. Amen. With wisdom comes everything. So today I wanted to talk to you about getting your house in order. We live in a day and age where Disney has done a great job always pumping out family stuff that is not family stuff at all. It's been to destroy the family units, so to speak. And within America, um, I mean, most houses this day and age have gone through divorces and separations. It's absolutely prevalent in this society. Um, we've gone through it in our household, and so we, 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 we recognize that. Everything I preach today is not meant to belittle anything, but there is a godly, um, what's the term I want to use here, structure for the family, amen, amen. That, that brings a blessing attached to it, that when you begin to realize God has things in order. Now, in, in Scripture... In Genesis, let me find where I want to read, verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 16 through 19. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me there. This will be the premise of what I'm bouncing off of today. Now, this is when man and woman was cursed because of their disobedience. Genesis 3, 16 through 19 says, To the woman, he said, I will multiply or greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband or to, the, or to rule over your husband, as some say, but he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have, have eaten the, from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake, and in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field, and in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Such great, wonderful promises there. 
And that's the end of our service today. Good luck. <laughs> Peace out. <laughs> Dang, Pastor Kaylee, you just sucked the life right out of me. Now, obviously this is the curse. Are you with me? And Scripture tells us that because Christ hung on the tree for us, He broke every curse off of our lives. Come on, somebody. So you're not living under a curse, but here's the truth of it. That, yes, Christ delivered you from the curse, which means if you look and you want to walk in the blessing, this Scripture actually reveals to you, for men, if you view your whole life as, man, I hate working, I don't want to go out there, and you develop this negative attitude of providing for your household, you can literally bring that curse back on your house. It's always going to be hard. I'm going to break my back for you guys. It'll be just rough. That's not the way a, child, a man of God is supposed to be. I'm a provider, and I'm blessed, and you watch the favor of God upon my life, and we're going to see great things. Amen. And for the woman. Always, if you look at the world today, always seeking to overthrow the man, to belittle the man, to make the man look like a moron. Let me tell you something, ladies. You don't need to help your man look like an idiot. You know what I'm saying? We can do this entirely on our own. Stop trying to help. We got this. <laughs> We've never needed assistance at all. But that, once again, it puts it back. When the, if you have a household where the woman is always warring over the man, belittling the man, and things like that. And I'm going to go through a lot today. I'm just giving you the introduction to let you understand that you can put yourself back in that place of the struggle, the striving, the feeling like life is not blossoming and, and great around us, but it is this constant war for us to even get ahead in life. That's where the enemy wants to keep you. As a child of God, you're supposed to slip into this place of joy, satisfaction, and blessing in a household that moves the household forward with the breath of God behind you. Amen. Who in here desires that? Amen. Come on, somebody. Genesis 2, 23 through 24 says, Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Leave and cleave. Once you, if you're single in this place, young in this place, and desiring to be married one day, when you get married there's the leave and cleave principle of scripture. That now you have created a new unit before the Lord. The two become one. If God called me to be a preacher and I get married, then my wife is involved in that calling. Amen. you got to learn unity inside the household. Because when, one of the things, I, when I went to Oral Roberts University, we did financial, personal financial planning as part of the business package where you learn finances, structuring, investment, things like that. And one of the biggest financial ruins for a person is divorce. Divorce is just straight up expensive. When you separate two people that have gone together... It is a massive financial blow to people. And the enemy knows that. He desires to divide households. He desires to break apart things. He desires these things. But in the studying of it, they showed that in America, one of the most common ages for people to get divorced is in their late 50s to beginning of 60s when the children have all grown up and moved out of the house. Because the family 
is not, it's no longer the marriage that is the center point of the, of, the, of the household. It is now just living for the kids. And once the kids are gone, both husband and wife have lived their own lives, built their own careers, and now they just separate because they have nothing in common. Leave and cleave means that in your household, yes, you're going to pop out babies. It's fun to make babies. Amen. And you take care of them. Or you never have babies. But regardless, it is you, husband and wife, that you work on. It's you that recognize this is the covenant. We're going to develop our kids as long as we have them in our, under our household. And even once they move out, they are not suddenly not your children anymore. But they're growing up. But you keep that family unit close. What does that mean? It means you don't let Uncle Eddie tell you what's wrong with your wife. Uncle Eddie's been through eight wives. There's a reason why Uncle Eddie, Eddie can't have a wife. Because Uncle Eddie is mean to women. you got to learn to honor one another. I've watched because, I mean, one of the first challenges I experienced becoming a pastor at 32 years old was people coming in with marital problems that have been married 20 years have marital problems and we're at like eight, year number eight. So I was like, how can I even speak into this? So you know what I began to do? And this is something I recommend everybody to Watch people that are in the church with marriages that you say, this looks strong. When, when the wife has been married for 30 years and her eyes still bat when she looks at her husband, go find out what that dude's doing. All right? Because he's nailing it, bro. If when the husband turns his back, the wife glares and pulls a knife out, don't mimic what that husband's doing. He ain't doing that good of a job. There's, there's basic truth in this because the Bible does say check things by the fruit. And oftentimes we'll just listen to someone that sounds like they know what they're talking about, but you really got to stop and look at the fruit of it. Is this something I want to produce in my life? If it is, find out what they're doing. And I'll tell you, one of the main things I have noticed of strong marriages that when the husband is away from the wife, when the wife is away from the husband and you bring up the spouse, you'll never hear a negative word out of their mouths. They're not airing their spouse's dirty laundry for the world to see. How many people are married in here? Raise your hands at me. How many people's spouse is perfect in here? You, you guys are literally just searching for brownie points. Maybe you left me hanging. We're not all perfect. Some days we feel perfect, other days we don't feel perfect. Today I'm going to go through some things. So I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you right now. Matthew 19, 4 through 6. Hallelujah. It says, He answered and said to them, this is Matthew 19, Have you not read that he who has, who has made them at the beginning made them male and female? Amen, brother. <laughs> this is not a new concept. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Amen. Amen. What God has put together, don't let a man come in and separate that union. We'll get into a lot today. And then 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. It says, wives, likewise, be submissive to your husbands. 
that even if some do not obey the word, this is talking about your husbands, do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, always arranging the hair and wearing gold and putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Come on, ladies. I can feel the tension building. <laughs> Ushers, get ready just in case the lady comes flying at me. Ah! I make my wife call me Lord, too. <laughs> She's shaking her head. Look at her. She says, no, you don't. It's not happening. <laughs> call, call. <laughs> it's capitalized here. It should be a lowercase Lord. Whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with this understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll get further, but basically what this is saying is, and I've seen this, and this is very common. It's actually really common in America that you seem for some reason to find the wife to be the more spiritual person in the union. It's like women drive the spiritual temperature of the house. Men, I'll take a moment and address this. You are actually called to be the spiritual head of your household. As a man, you are supposed to be fully, 100% surrendered to the Word of God. You're supposed to love your wife as Christ loves the church, which means you actually are the one that always recognizes my place is to sacrifice my life for the protection, the blessing, and the hand of God upon my household. And if I'm willing to put myself through that with joy, it doesn't mean when Christ endured the cross, it says, for the joy set before him. He was happy about what he was going to do. So I'm happy that I've got a family. I'm happy that I've got girls. Man, I'm like a king. You know what I'm saying? I've got girls that come from everywhere and grab dad's arms. I'm like the boss. You know, when I get tired, they bring me grapes and they feed me and another kid fans me. If this is sacrifice, I'll do it every day. No, but it says, so as men, you're meant to have that place where you're going to pursue the Word of God. You're going to put your heart in that place of, yes, I'm the man, I'm the caretaker, but I'm going to learn submission to God. Because if I can learn to submit to the, to the Lord, then my household will be in line. And if my household is in line, the blessing is attached to it. Women, for you that don't have a man submitted to God, this is what Scripture is saying, that you, through your commitment to Christ, honoring the Word of God, honoring your husband, can begin to soften his heart and reveal to him the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. When God needed to save Israel one time, He actually chose a woman that could ease the heart of a king and turn his heart in favor of God's people. So women, you actually can turn a husband's heart. Women, you got to understand about your man. We are physically stronger. That's why a new lady can dominate in women's sports when previously. 
They were born with other parts attached. They have a rudder. When <laughs> they get up to today, I was like, I was one, 153 in men's swimming, but then this year I'm just suddenly number one. I guess, yeah, we know why. You're a dude. Right? That's what it's meaning. So we are physically stronger. Uh, I mean, obviously there are some ladies out there that intimidate us. <laughs> physically stronger. And ultimately, I would say that a lot of the emotional things that come, men can cycle through it quicker. Because I don't really, I don't keep a good memory basis as a man of what people have done to me. I forget it. You know, I'll be like, I remember someone said something to me and it hurt, but I've moved on past that. Women tend to remember things a lot. Well, the Bible says that you honor the wife as the weaker vessel. And if you don't learn that honor, then your prayers will be hindered. So it's like if you don't learn to honor the woman of God, the beauty, the heart that she possesses, the softness, the nurturing, the fact that she has that personality and you always just beat her down, then you actually yourself will hinder your, your prayers to the Lord because he says your household's not in line. Now to wives, if you always are belittling your husband, even if he is not spiritually inclined, but you don't honor him as the man of the house, then you can wind up also bringing reproach upon the household because it's not in line. Amen? Are you with me this morning? This is Scripture. This is what the Bible says. Matthew 18 says, If two or more on earth come in agreement, they can ask anything from me and I'll give it to them. Because where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Put that into your marriage. Come on, somebody. If you two come in agreement concerning this is how our household will develop, this is how our household will function, this is what we're going to do together, and you come in that place of agreement, God says you can ask anything of me at that place. So we're talking about getting our house in order. Is my house in order, or is my house a house of chaos? Is it a house of frustration? Is there no peace within my house? Has it gotten so toxic under your roof that yes, you come in here, you love the Lord, you shout amen, you believe in God personally for things, but you've forgotten the fact that God wants to bless the union. And so you are allowing, as scripture said, of what God puts together, let no man pull asunder. You are allowing the things of this world to pull you apart. Now, I said, many people have gone through divorce. There are, there are scriptural reasons for divorce. If your husband is beating you, if your wife is beating you, it's not funny. <laughs> if there's been an affair, those are the things, scriptural says. Those things are worth, you break apart for your own physical protection and the fact that the covenant itself, which is a blood covenant in marriage, has been totally nullified. We understand that. You're going to deal through that. And then coming through the other side, what do you got to do? You've got to forgive. See, that's where a lot of people, they go marriage to marriage. The first one was absolutely bad. You're absolutely good to break it. But if you don't learn to let God take you to a place of absolute forgiveness, or this person no longer has emotional control over your life, then you go into another union and you bring that mess with you. And now you wind up a track record. Amen? And that's where you start to see it. So you've got to realize, I'm going to get my house in order. I've got my personal covenant with God. But if I'm going to create a house with the Lord and two are going to become one, then there are different things attached to that than just living the single life. 
Yes, God can call you to be single. And if you feel you're supposed to be single all your life, good at you, bro. Do that and do it for the Lord. But if you're going to have a house, decide we're going to do this thing together. And it takes both parties to make the blessing of God be the strength of your life. Are you with me? So, men, the Bible says, if in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse, worse than an unbeliever. So as men, if I am supposed to be the position of Christ, Christ provided every need of the church. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. And so scripture is saying if a man does not provide for his household, he is worse than an unbeliever. So if men... If you don't take the place of, and it's not saying that women can't work. You can work, ladies, absolutely. There are most, uh, most households are dual income right now. But it's saying that a man should not be sitting on his butt on the couch, shouting at his wife while she provides for the household and does everything for them. The man is supposed to get up and put his hand to a plow and let that thing produce something for the household. And in that, there's a blessing attached to it. Don't be a person that doesn't take that position to say, I will provide for my household with the best of my ability. There's a blessing attached to work. There's a satisfaction attached to work. I will go so far as to say this. If Scripture, which Scripture is true, that says you were created in your Father's image, which is God above, is God a creator? Yes, He creates. Which means within every person, male and female, there is the character of God which is satisfied in creation. You are made to create. And if you don't create, you look at people that live their whole life, handouts and handouts, they're some of the most miserable people you will ever find. Because there is no satisfaction in resources. The satisfaction is creating something. And that's what you do. You go out and you put your hands to something and you make something out of nothing. And there is in itself a reward attached to the fact that you've created something. Are you with me right now? So men, take that position. Say, I'm going to provide for my household. Women, speak into your men. Men, though physically stronger, have egos. If a man's ego is destroyed... His confidence is eroded. And women, you are the, you, we can pick, if you see men, you, you, our egos, we just trash each other and it doesn't affect us. Come on dudes, you know what we're talking about. All we do is trash talk each other. It's like you never go up to your friend and just say, man, I just want to tell you, man, those shoes, they look great on you today. Men trash talk each other. But your wives are the ones that have access to that button. <laughs> Chop you right down. You go from feeling nine feet tall to feeling like you are crawling on the ground, a puddle of goo, leave me alone, suck my thumb in the dark. <laughs> so women, you're like, man, my, my husband, he doesn't take the lead role. Well, what are you saying to him all the time? Are you always cutting him down? And make him belittling him. And that's why I said, look at Hollywood. You watch what Hollywood puts out. What do they teach people to do? Belittle the moron husband. He's an idiot. What does he know about anything? Your husband may not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but you're the one that chose him. So what does that say about you? 
Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. <laughs> so recognize that your man needs you, women. Ladies, he, he needs you. That if a man is going through something, some of the, the greatest trials of my life, that when my wife came by my side and stood by me, gave me a strength and a reserve on the inside to say, I will push past this, and I'm not going to give up. But if she came out and she turned on me, then I would not have had the strength to keep pushing forward. Life has challenges. So decide your marriage is a place of empowerment, not division and challenge. Now, what does it take? It takes two hearts submitted. Stay submitted to Christ. That's why, husbands, it's important to lead your household with a spiritual heart towards God. I'm going to be a person of prayer. Men, be a man of prayer. Amen? Pray over your household. People can testify. I get in the car, I pray over the, the car ride. I put my kids to bed, I pray over my kids. When it comes time for mealtime, we pray over that. Come on. We are men of prayer. You going, your kid's going over to somebody's house. They don't leave my house without me praying over them. I remember, I mean, growing up, it's like all the dumb things I got into. My parents obviously prayed because I didn't die. That's proof in itself. They were people of prayer. And I'm saying this because, you know, I was not raised in church. I, my family quit going to church when I was six years old because of offense. And I'm just, I'll just tell the truth. That's what happened. They got offended about something in the church, and we quit going to church. And by the time I'm 16 years old, I'm a full-blown alcoholic. I'm on prescription drugs. I'm smoking weed, doing all sorts of stuff, and I get arrested five times before I'm 18. But in the midst of all of that trial, when I'm 19 years old and the room is spinning and I feel empty and I feel like my life is crashing, I did know the name of Jesus. And I did know that God was good because despite the fact that they did get offended and they didn't go to church, my parents never lost Christ. And I grew up in a household where my dad loved my mom and my mom absolutely adored my dad. And so I knew the goodness of God in a household and I watched it. They were people of prayer. We didn't go to church, but they prayed over meals. They prayed, they led. So I had that foundation to go on. That's why getting your house in order matters, especially generationally. Look at the decline in America. The decline in America is not that churches aren't advertising well. Right. Churches are actually starting to advertise because households are not training their kids. You will go to church. Right. Yeah, that's good. You with me? Yeah. And so every generation declines and we always want to blame the previous generation or the kids' generation. But what about our part in it? Yeah. And so it's leading a family and teaching people what's, what matters in life. Wives, the Bible says, submit to your husbands. If he asks you not to hang out with someone, don't hang out with that person. There are some ladies that are toxic. And, and, and I've noticed this. You even look at soap operas. You can have a great marriage until you start watching soap operas. And now suddenly everybody's telenuevo, just dramatic, whatever. Tearing things apart. Bad company corrupts. Wives, if you hang out with a lady that's always running down her husband, always talking about what her husband does wrong, and then you start hearing, wait, my husband does that too. Yeah, because he's not perfect, because that's what dudes do. Come on, somebody. 
then, then, then you wind up, everything's good until one thread gets pulled, and then it starts to tear apart the household. Right. Decide, I'm not going to be that person. If he tells you not to hang out with a lady, it's because he's seeing something. If he tells you not to buy something, stop buying things. We live in a very materialistic world. I hate to have to say it, but you do have to remind yourself, stop buying stuff all the time. Because what it does is it's actually an addiction. It teaches you a momentary satisfaction. It's like a drug addict. I bought something, I feel satisfaction, and then you have a room, and that room is like, don't open that door. We lost a kid in there. I don't know where they went. They stopped rustling around a couple days. No, I mean, you don't, you don't need half the things you think you need in America anyways. And so, because that's another thing. People don't honor this. It takes two of you together to do that. That if the husband, and maybe it's the husband always buying stuff. Then wives be like, you don't, you, you got to speak into him. You're beautiful, you're awesome just the way you are. You don't need another jacket, honey. You're clothed in the glory of the Lord. Learning that submission, learning that part is hard in this world, in this day and age. And it is hard, especially when your husband is pig-headed or not serving the Lord or hard-hearted or abusive. And that's where you have to tap into the love of God. And really, you want to know the secret to marriage? Both parties, you gotta, you got to lean on God. It's not that marriage is easy. It's that marriage betters your life. It teaches you covenant. It teaches you honor. It teaches you submission. It teaches you providing. It teaches you responsibility. It teaches you and it produces fruit that is eternal. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So wives, submit to your husband. Parenting. Now first, before I get into parenting, we're talking about getting our house in order. I want to say this. For all of you single parents out here, I pray for you regularly. I really genuinely do. Because I'm like, man, in this day and age, may the Lord strengthen you. Whether it's a, it's a single dad, single mom, God be with you. Amen. And I'll remind you of this. Obviously, it takes two in a household. But if it's you and the Lord, that's still two. Yeah. And if God can anoint David and make him go from a shepherd boy to the king of a nation, then God's anointing upon your life can strengthen you to lead your household forward. Amen. And just because you have faced adversity doesn't mean that your children will be broke. doesn't mean that they will not have what they need. Sometimes adversity has a way of producing the finest of people. Amen? Amen. So if you're single, we're with you. We love you. We provide for many different single parents in this church regularly. We help with different things financially from food to even rent payments of single parents. We're here as a church family to do that. That's, that's scriptural. Amen. So we are here for you. But pa parents... I've noticed this. Now, Galatians 4, 1 through 2, parenting in a household. It says, now I say that the heir, which is your child, as long as he is a child, so the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave. What? Though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Your children should not run the house. Your children are your children. They will go when you tell them to go. They will sit when you tell them to sit, and if they don't want to, they can do it with a bad attitude, but you are actually training them submission, you're training them honor, you're training them how to get ahead in life. Children are not the ones that know what needs to happen in the house. I've listened to a lot of parents, man, I can't get my kids to come to church. How old are they? Eight. Bro, 
Four letters, B-E-L-T. That has a way of motivating a child. They're, they're eight. They're just, I don't think they're ready for the Lord. What? That's a problem. Your children are not the head of the house. They do not carry any responsibility. They eat your food. They use your electricity. They sleep in beds you provide. When you tell them to come to church, get to church. You got to get in dad voice or mom voice or both a combination. Get into that voice, but use some authority. We're going to talk about strong parents. It matters. Children do not know. A child, 8, 10, even in their 16 years, 16, 17 years old, teenagers think they know everything. Who remembers as a teenager? And then you grow up and realize you don't know anything. That's why you are so dependent on God all the time. So we tell our 20-year-olds, you know, like, we just want you to know we winged it with you the entire time. <laughs> there was times it was sketchy, bro. Regularly, we joined hands and said, Lord, we don't know what we're doing, but please help us. And as a parent, I feel like if you slip into the wrong mindset, you can feel like a failure. I genuinely, I, because I grew up, I grew up, and now my, my dad made a success of his life, but I grew up, it was very, very, very financially tight in our house. We ate pinto beans and cornbread three days a week, which just for the record, I still like it. You know what I'm saying? That ham hock, though, my mom used on the third day when you're using the same ham hock, there ain't no ham left on that hock. That's just a bone thrown into a bowl of beans. Let's talk about it. There's obviously still a little bit of, you know, I'm getting free of. I've gone to counseling. It's working out. Oh, yeah, my wife, my wife made me pinto beans and cornbread one time, and I was like, what is all of this meat in here? She was like, that's how you're supposed to make it. I was like, I must have been like, because I was the baby, got the last portions. It was like they were using, like, Bacon flavoring, you know. <laughs> but, so I grew up, you know, with, with a tightness in the household and stuff like that. So as a parent, my heart's desire growing up was I was like, Lord, please bless me that I could provide good things for my family. Because I kind of grew up with a chip on my shoulder because everybody else would be a name brand and I was never a name brand. Everybody else would go down to the lake with their new boat and we'd be down there working on our boat trying to see if it would start today. <laughs> That's how, I, you know what I'm saying, where you kind of were like this. And I wanted to provide for my kids. And often when you went in, when, when we went in the ministry, it was absolutely very financially tough. And so I remember just thinking, oftentimes feeling like a failure. I wanted to give my kids French lessons. I wanted them riding horses. I wanted them doing all of these great things. I wanted to give them the world. And a lot of parents destroy their household trying to give their kids the world. Give them this one thing. Give them a household where you love your spouse and you put God first. And I promise you from then on, everything will be in line. I've watched. And we can speak into it. Because we do have three kids, 120, 113, and 112, and they're all still alive, which we count as a win. And they all love the Lord. 
And to see a 20-year-old pursuing a call of God in her life in ministry means that, and they see the blessing of God. And my daughter, our 20-year-old, called us the other day crying, saying um, she'd been sowing radically into the kingdom of God, and someone came and gave her 2500 bucks, And she was like, Dad, you, you, Mom, you taught me. You give to the Lord. He honors your life. He's, it's true. Amen. You're training up children, but you're really training up the next leaders. So they are heirs of your household. So what kind of heir? If you spend your whole life building a company, I want you to grab this because that's the reality of your household. Think of your household as a corporation. You got your partner and your spouse and your kids are the heirs. What do you want them as far as characteristics, strength, and heart to have for you to turn over what you've been, spent your whole life developing? Well, you want them to know that God is number one. You want them to know to honor the presence of God. You want them to have a, a hunger for the Word of God because if you hunger and thirst for the Word, every bit of truth you will ever need to face any time in society is found in the living Word of God. From up times to down times, times of plenty, times of need, times of devastation, times of sickness, times of threats, it's all in the Word. And you as a parent have a responsibility as long as you're in my household and your kid might be 30 years old, but if they're still living on your couch, as long as you're in my household, I'm bringing you to church with me. And you can come with a bad attitude. I can't, I can't change your attitude. I can spank you, which is godly. The Bible says if you spare not the rod, if you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. We've seen it. You've seen it. Yep. You've seen kids that are just terrible kids. And you're like, man, give me <laughs> three minutes. I'll get something in line, which I'm going to get into this in a moment. People hear that and they're like, they think you're a proponent of beating your children. I have never beat my child. I have whooped my child. <laughs> and they need it. All right. Now, for children, we're going to keep rolling because I, there's a bit more I want to get through. Children, this is interesting, but I want you to grab this. So this is actually one of the promises of God. It says this is the first commandment with promise, that you are to honor your father and your mother. And if you do this, it will be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. So what does that mean? Children, now, remind yourself. Yes, children, you're living in your, house, your family's household. Maybe you're 12 years old. Maybe you're 20 years old. You are to honor your parents all of your days. Just because you grow up to 40 and your parents are now 65 does not mean they're no longer your parents. Still honor them. You know, one of the major offenses Jesus had with the Pharisees was he said, you've twisted the word where you're supposed to honor your parents and provide for them that you twisted it by saying, we'll give this to the Lord in the future so that you don't give anything to your parents. And Jesus was disgusted by that. That's not honor. You're to honor your parents. Amen. And with it comes a promise that if I honor my parents all of my days, then with that, I will live a long and a healthy life. Who wants that? That's the blessing of God. Well, as everything, you walk in, you read any part of the blessing of God in Scripture, there is always obedience attached to blessing. Children, obey your parents. Parents, lead your children. They don't know everything, but you will teach them. 
you don't know everything. But if you know one thing, that is that I'm going to pursue God, that is enough to lead them on the path that will take them far in life. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they were old, they will not depart from that path. Are you with me right now? So, if you have children at home, bring them to church. Teach them these things. At church, teach them to serve. Amen? One of the greatest things you can do with your life, no matter what success you amass, you could be the boss of a multi-million dollar company, but at church, you're a servant. The greatest in the kingdom of God is a servant. That's it. Jesus came and he washed the feet of the disciples. People think a title in the kingdom of God means you do great things. It actually just means your life is more submitted to the body of Christ. It's a servant attitude. If you teach your children how to serve, then they will, they will, they will walk in the humility of God all their days. And they will not struggle with the anger, the arrogance, and the pride that blinds society. There's a beauty attached to willing to put yourself under to promote or bless another person. That's serving and that's a Christian principle. Where do they learn it if not from you? If you show up at church, parents, all the time and you never serve the body of Christ and you wonder why your kid grows up and never serves anybody, doesn't give, it's because they modeled what they were shown. You with me right now? So be a servant. Have a servant's heart. If you have a servant's heart, it's a beautiful heart to have. You know why? Because a servant's heart is the, is the strongest heart against offense. Yeah, exactly. That when you're willing to give, you oftentimes are not the one that takes an offense. You're like, I've involved, I get it, we're all pouring out. We're doing the best that we can with what we have. And together we see the unity of God and the blessing of God. Teach them to serve. Teach them to have compassion and care. That's modeled in your household. If, if your household has no compassion... Constant war, constant disdegregation of each other. That's why the Bible says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. If you're always attacking your children, then you have no compassion. There's no softness, which leads to discipline. You are to train up a child. You are not to spare the rod. You are meant to spank and discipline your child. But what is that? That is not you got mad and you punched your kid in the face. That's abuse. People, if you are disciplining your kid in a blind rage, that is not discipline and your kid is only learning violence. My dad had a way, being like, when we get home, we will deal with this. And I knew what that meant. It wasn't we were going to sit down and play a game of cards and discuss what I should have done. So what did I do as a kid? I mean, I would act like I fell asleep on the drive home. Hoping my father would forget it. And on the rare occasions he did, it was like a win. You know what I'm saying? He carried me to bed. He forgot. He forgot. He forgot. <laughs> Drifting off to sleep. Now, son, remember what we talked about. I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> because we had strong discipline, my mom could get us in line with just those words. Just wait till your father gets home. Oh, what do you need, mom? Do you need a back rub? What's going on over here? <laughs> but to discipline a child is not to beat a child. Men, women, moms, it's not I fly off at the handle the moment they did something and I'm angry and I'm just going to beat them to satisfy that wrath within me. If you have anger, 
then it's you're going to wait and say, we're going to talk about this, we're going to deal with this later. And you're going to go and you're going to get yourself collected. And then you're going to discipline your child and you're going to sit with them and you're going to tell them why. Does that make sense? That's proper godly discipline. It's not beating kids and saying that it's godly. It's disciplining them from a place of love and then looking in them and telling them this is why. This is what I'm trying. It's all about the heart condition. It's not this. It's this. This is why you're being disciplined. Do you understand? Yes, Dad. Okay. I love you. I love you too. If you spank your kid and your kid runs in the room and locks himself for six hours, you're doing something wrong. We spank our kids. We hug our kids and we sit there and hold them, pour into them and go so that they know Dad's not angry. Dad's not belittling them. Dad's not, they don't have to be afraid of their father. But their dad is a strong dad that will lead them and guide them as best as he knows how to do. And they actually trust that parent. Amen. Amen. Give you an example. Years ago, I used to do kids. Everybody follow. Is this okay this morning? I mean, people are like, I haven't heard the whoa by the spirit yet, you know. (laughs) Is this not a Holy Ghost enough message? You know what I'm saying? Oh, whoop them. Hey. Years, I told you it was pastoral, but getting your house in line provides the avenue of the blessing of God. Years ago, I got the opportunity to serve in kids' church of the River Tampa Bay, which had a large kids' church, several hundred kids, bust in from the inner city. The inner city kids do not have strong parental presence in, in their life, and they were absolutely chaotic. I mean, they were just fighting, I mean, during worship, pushing each other, cussing, and I was trying to be kind. As a Christian, we're supposed to be kind. So I was like, you know, the meekest, hey, would you please just sit down and worship? Okay, we just lift our hands. And my friend, he was from the inner city of New York, a big old dude. He pulled me over and he said, Caleb, I'm going to tell you this one time. He said, do not let these kids run over you. He said, they're actually acting up because they're desperate for someone to show they care. And the way you show their care is you whip them in shape. He said, watch this. Get over here right now. And he was like, bowl him. I mean, he had these little guys like soldiers run up. And after that, I realized that. And in kids' church, I served there for six months with inner city kids. And sure enough, they'd start shoving, cussing, pushing in line. I'd be like, get over here right now. And you listen right here. We're not putting up with this. You hear me, young man? And before long, it's like I had a posse of inner city kids that, bro, you came at me, you come at them. You know what I'm saying? I, felt, I was like a gang leader. Yo, Mikey, take care of this fool. Now, why did they respond? Because they actually, you actually know someone loves when they show that they care. You don't know, if, if you ignore your kids... Oh, yeah, whatever. They popped off at the mouth again. If you ignore them, they actually are dying on the inside, feeling like nothing they do matters. But if you get involved in their life, no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going to talk to that. No, young man, come here right now. Sit down. We're going to have a talk. You and me. They actually know you care. Then what happens when they go through something? They don't go to someone that has ignored them their whole life. They go to the person that has been strong in their life to give them wisdom and give them advice. Are you with me this morning? Discipline your ch- children. You don't spank them when you're angry. You spank them once you're calmed down. Now money. Teach your kids to be givers. 
Jesus, I, 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 in, the, in the gospel of Luke, I want to say that, I mean, nearly, if not half, I think half of his parables were concerning worldly wealth. You want to look at what destroys life? Read Luke where it says the word is perfect, the seed is perfect. But one of the things that chokes out the word is the cares for the riches of this world. You want to see what destroys households, what destroys marriages? It's the lure of sparkling gold and silver. The lust for worldly wealth. And if you don't teach your children generosity, giving to God, how to steward their wealth, that I have been blessed and I will give to honor the Lord, which the Bible talks about, you give because it is He that has given you the power to create wealth. If you teach a kid that when they're six years old, seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, and you're teaching them tithing, honoring God, putting God first in their life, in their finances, and a kid begins to walk in that, I have seen children reap in their own household under their parents the blessing of God. You believe it's true? I've seen kids call in things concerning wealth as parents. Everybody in this room has a different amount of money that comes in. If it was all about all the money coming in and that's the key to it, no. It's teaching them no matter what you have coming in, you are well supplied because your, your resources is Christ's sufficiency. Don't model, don't look at other people and think that they're greater. Don't let this be the warring factor in your life to determine actually your value. We have what we have. And what we have, we honor the Lord with. We're givers, and from that, the hand of the Lord blesses us back. Teach your kids that principle. Do not let money be the aspect that is the, the, the determining factor of success in life. People with money are not necessarily successful. There are people with great amounts of wealth that are miserable, broken, suicidal, and empty. You want to have a joyous life? Honor the Lord. And watch that joy bubble up within your life. Come on. When we've been married, we've had very little and we've had overflow. And let me tell you, it doesn't, as long as Christ is involved, great things happen. You start removing Christ from it and you start putting too much attention on that. When it comes to wealth, teach your kids concerning wealth that we honor the Lord with our increase. Because it always puts Him number one in our life. And we don't do it. Because we're trying to twist God's arm into giving us a new Cadillac. We do it because God has already given us everything we have. And God is in our house. And we will honor Him all the days of our life. And where however He promotes and blesses us, we trust that God will give us exactly what we need when we need it. Come on. Amen. Teach your kids that. If you teach your children that, that will save them a lot of hassle in this world. Too many people. The Bible says those that lure, are, are drawn by the lure of wealth pierce themselves through with many sorrows. What parent wants your kid to be pierced through with many sorrows? Nobody. So teach them that. Man, whether you have a lot, you have a little, we love you. And your main thing is do what God told you to do. Do something that brings you that satisfaction and that joy and honor the Lord with your increase and watch God provide according to His riches and glory. Amen. Teach them. Don't teach them also this. One of the things we learn, and it's hard to do, but your kids have a way of asking for a lot of things. Kids sometimes have greater faith than your bank account possesses. But don't teach them lack. I think that's one of the biggest things we try and do with our household. We don't always have everything that you need. 
But if we don't have what you need, we always teach our kids, well, that's something to put before the Lord and ask God for. Let's believe God. If it matters to you, let's believe God for it. Start storing up for it. Let's pray about it and see what the Lord would do. You begin to teach your children not limitations, but to always look to the Lord as their supply. Come on, are you with me right now? Else you wind up creating a household of kids that are like, well, we can't afford anything. We, Daddy said, I can't get this. I can't get that. We can't afford anything. You don't want to teach your kids that place where it's basically, then they feel like, oh, yeah, my, my dad says we, we love the Lord, but we can't afford anything. Look, that's not it. Number one, does it really matter? And my parents did this well growing up because we were tight sometimes. And they would put things before, and they were like, if this really matters, store up your wealth. You know what that taught me? That a lot of things I thought I really wanted, I didn't really want. Because really, when it came time to it, and I stored up the money, and I was looking at it, I was like, nah, it took too long. I learned the value of things. Americans don't know the value of things. That's why we have closets overflowing with toys. And your kids have this. It's trying to appease that. It's giving that momentary satisfaction, but then the kid doesn't even use it. Look at the fruit of it. So teach your kids that value of money. This is how much it costs. Earn this, do this, purchase this, and then they begin to realize the value of things. I can promise you, I've seen in my life, God has given me great things in my earlier days that I squandered because I didn't even understand the, the worth of it. And only as I've grown, I've realized the value of that. Come on. Teach a kid that value. You, you want to be a, a missionary. Kids want to be missionaries. And, hey, support me. Give, give $8,000 to my missions trip. Well, as you begin to learn the value of what you're asking from a person, it teaches you honor of those people that are giving, and it's going to make you press in for that mission trip harder than the person that doesn't even understand what it ta- took. Understand value. You're supposed to teach your kids this. If you want your house in line, teach the Word of God. Teach them to be givers. And lastly, it says teach them or teach them how to pray. You're to teach your kids how to pray. Do they see you as a person of prayer? Is your household a place of prayer? Do they know how to pray over a meal? Do they know how to pray protection? Do they know how to pray and, and seek the mind of God concerning things? How many of you have ever had that where you like you pray through? Like life has many decisions. And the more you can teach a child how to pray through a decision, not rush out there, not jump before you've prayed, but pray and get the mind of God, and then from that place move forward. If you teach your child that and you model it for them, that child will advance beyond 99% of the world at an accelerated pace just because they've learned how to pray things through. Are you with me right now? Because how many people realize if you're praying something through, and prayer is a two-way street. It's not just I shout at God. Prayer is the two-way street of I'm, I'm asking the Lord. I'm inclining my heart. I'm reading the Word. I'm searching Scripture. I'm stirring in the Spirit. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. I'm going after God, and then the Lord begins to reveal things back to me. He leads me by intuition. He leads me by a still, small voice. He leads me by the unction of the Spirit of God and by the Word of truth. And if you teach your kid that... You'll be a parent that looks at your kid and be like full of joy all the days of your life because you've seen that your kids know how to pray, how to follow God, and how to get the best results. Amen? Amen. Has this blessed you this morning? Does this make sense? I just felt to do that as your pastor. And then I actually want to do one even to as Christians in society. 
How do you rate? How do you if you have a business? How do you how do you deal with employees? Those types of things. So we'll we'll do that another time. Thanks for listening to River Claremont's podcast. We pray you were greatly blessed by this message. If you'd like to keep up to date with what's happening at the River Claremont Church, visit us at riverclaremont.com.